Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. The 200th anniversary of Mother Seton's death is January 4th. You can watch the Seton Shrine's Feast Day Mass at 11.30 a.m. EST on EWTN. This Mass will be celebrated by Archbishop Lori, and Father Ted will be celebrating the 1.30 p.m. Mass. We will also be premiering our new short film on Mother Seton on January 4th. You can learn more at setonshrine.org slash 200 years. Now here's Father Ted. These days we have many different reasons to think about the family. Ever since the lockdown, many of us have been spending more time than ever with our families. Children taking classes from home, parents working from home. And sometimes we wonder when this lockdown is going to end so we can get out. On the other hand, during this Christmas season, the same lockdown prevented many of us from getting together with our families. And so we spent this Christmas season perhaps reminiscing about previous family gatherings and wondering when we're going to get together again with our families. In a more general social level, the last years have seen numerous attacks against the family as well. We have, for example, more and more the state taking control of the education of children, which is the primary duty of the parents. No-fault divorce laws and prenuptial agreements have greatly facilitated the rupture of the sacred bonds of matrimony. Abortion and contraception have led to, have established in many people the mentality that a child is either a burden to be avoided or a commodity that a couple has a right to instead of being a gift from God. And lobbyists from the homosexual movement and transgenderism, they are frequently and forcibly pushing the idea that any two individuals can form a family. And so in the midst of all this, on a more positive note, we have today the celebration of the Holy Family, the celebration of the household made up of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And these three individuals, they're always held up to us as the ideal family. Like, this is really what all of us should aspire to, to have a family similar to that of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And they're not the ideal family because of who they were, because Jesus was divine and Mary was immaculately conceived and Joseph was this just man chosen by God. But in a real sense, they're the models for us. They're the ideal because of what they did. On the one hand, they perfectly fulfilled the duties of their state. And so silent St. Joseph, he was the hard-working head of the Holy Family who was always docile and obedient to the will of God. Mary, the Immaculate Mother of God and Queen of Heaven and Earth, She did not disdain or think it was beneath her to attend to those simple yet demanding tasks associated with rearing of children and with looking after the home. Jesus, for his part, he fulfilled perfectly the precepts that are imposed upon all children, the precepts of obedience to their parents and rightful authorities, and the precept to grow, to mature, 
both in the human area as well as, most importantly, in grace before God. And in this way, by fulfilling their duties, they lived a very ordinary life. You know, the scriptures don't give us any indication after the flight into Egypt that there, was, that there were extraordinary circumstances surrounding this family. If there had been a lot of miracles around the Holy Family, the evangelists probably would have recorded them, just as they recorded all the extraordinary events around the birth of our Lord. But they don't. We have no reason to believe that there were miracles being performed on a daily basis by the child Jesus. And so what is really special about the Holy Family is that they lived the ordinary life in an extraordinary way, in the words of St. John Paul II when he beatified a Catholic couple for the first time. The ordinary in an extraordinary way. And it's highly significant that when the Son of God decided to become man here on earth, he decided to do so by becoming a baby in the midst of a family with an already committed husband and wife. He could have shown up as a fully grown man and inaugurated immediately his public ministry. He could have showed up at least as a 12-year-old and marveled the scribes and the priests in the temple. Or he could have showed up, showed up as an 80-year-old sage that everybody would listen to because of his great wisdom and experience. But in divine wisdom, he decided that he would become man by being conceived and born into a family just like all of us were. He did so to redeem the family and to remind us, to teach us perhaps, about the importance of the family for our own salvation and sanctification. Because every family, when it lives out its vocation, is an instrument of redemption, a path to heaven. Every family is meant to be a holy family. But what is it that we can say about our families? Like, when do we become holy families? Like, we talked about, okay, the holy family, they perfectly fulfilled their obligations. They did the ordinary in an extraordinary way. But there are two things that we can focus on today to sort of identify or to make our families holy families, to imitate the holy family of Nazareth. These are two things that perhaps could be close to the top of the list of things we should be doing. First and foremost, the Holy Family was a house of prayer. Scripture gives abundant testimony to this. When our Lord is lost in the temple, it tells us before then that as was their custom, they went up to the temple. That is to say, the Holy Family was used to going to Jerusalem on all the major feasts. They went to the temple to worship. And at home, they must have read the Scriptures frequently. Because Jesus, when he was just 12 years old, he was already amazing the scribes and the Pharisees with his knowledge of the Word of God. And when he entered, began his public ministry, he would frequently use phrases such as, have you not read in the Word, in the Scriptures? Any family that wants to be as holy as it can, that wants to fulfill its vocation, has to be a family of prayer. It has to center its life on God. 
going to the temple to worship God and making the home itself a place where God can be worshipped and encountered. It's very unfortunate that nowadays many families will focus upon other things before God. They will focus on the TV, they will focus upon sports, they will focus upon school, they will focus upon jobs before God. Or nowadays we can say there are many families that are more faithfully fulfilling the CDC's coronavirus guidelines than they ever fulfilled God's guidelines. But God, if it's going to be a holy family, must be at the heart and the center of it. Like the venerable Father Patrick Payton said so often, the family that prays together stays together. And when we are contemplating the scene of the Holy Family of Nazareth, which, by the way, is very beautifully depicted here in the the top of our dome. This is something which many people miss, but there's a seven-foot mural of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph above our heads at every Mass. When we're contemplating the scene of the Holy Family, we can perhaps call to mind those instances in which Mary and Joseph were teaching Jesus the prayers that every Hebrew child had to know. And maybe parents could use the words of St. Paul VI as an examination of conscience with this image in mind. Paul VI wrote to parents, Do you teach your children the Christian prayers? Do you prepare them for the sacraments that they receive when they are young? Do you encourage them when they are sick to think of Christ's suffering and to invoke the aid of Mary and the saints? Do you pray the family rosary together? Growing up, I know that my parents had to fight to get us to pray the family rosary together, and there was always certain siblings that were more enthusiastic about it than others, but we usually persevered in it to a certain extent. And I remember at the end of that family rosary, our dad would always include some personal intentions with a single Hail Mary for each of them for health, for the Pope, for our pastor, for all of us, for, you know, different special people that were in need of prayers. And he would always tack on as well a request that one of his children would receive a vocation to the priesthood or religious life. And it seems like God answered his prayers because out of the five of us, two of us are in religious life now. So prayer must be at the center of the family. And the other thing that we can learn from the Holy Family, the other way in which we, in our houses, can imitate the Holy Family, is by the practice of charity. It's indisputable that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph loved each other. We have Mary who was prepared to be stoned to death because she conceived Jesus without Joseph, and she stuck with Jesus even at the foot of the cross. Joseph, for his part, he was willing to leave behind his business, his home, his land, his family, extended family, in order to protect Mary and Jesus by fleeing with them into Egypt. And Jesus, he laid down his life for Joseph and Mary just as much as he laid down his life for you and for me. And so this love that they have for each other, it was not just simply a sentimental feeling. It was the willingness to sacrifice for the sake of the other members of the family, to lay down their lives. And this is what we are called to do as well in our families. Lay down our lives. 
Fulton Sheen pointed out that this is very often going to be done in much simpler ways than actually taking a bullet for somebody. You know, laying down our lives could be something along the lines of sacrificing our preferences on family movie night, graciously eating whatever is put before us at dinner, letting somebody else have the last word in a conversation or a discussion, or simply forgiving somebody for one of those inevitable offenses which occurs in family life. As St. Paul told us in the second reading, bear with one another. Because these minor ways of laying down our lives, they're often much more demanding than like the big ones. There was one American writer who said, everybody wants to save the world. Nobody wants to help mom do the dishes. Or Mother Teresa of Calcutta, when somebody told her that I'm going to Calcutta to help the poor, to volunteer, to practice charity, she would always tell them, first go home and practice charity with the people in your house, and then you can go to Calcutta. This is what we aspire to. But if we're honest, it very often happens that we are merely aspiring to this kind of a family life. One of prayer, one of love, like the Holy Family. And so if you see yourself in a situation where your family perhaps is not perfect, or your family is not exactly like the Holy Family, don't get discouraged, because there is no such thing as the perfect family. Even the saints, they struggled with their families. Mother Seton, her two children, her two sons rather, they were kind of hit and miss when it comes to the practicing of their faith. And even her husband wasn't really intentional in his belief until his deathbed. St. Rita of Kasha was married to a man who was unfaithful to her. It was even abusive. And so what do we do when we're in that situation, inevitable situation? In this regard, I think that the story of Elizabeth Lesue is inspiring. She was a Catholic, but she wasn't very practicing, and she married a doctor, a French doctor, in the uh, early 20th century, and he told her that he was Catholic, and after the wedding, it turns out he's actually an atheist. And she was, of course, upset about this, but she didn't despair. Instead, she started to draw closer to God. She started to pray more, to deepen her spiritual life, to participate more in the church's life. And her husband, you know, mocked her for this, but she persevered, she stuck at it. And then in 1905, she was diagnosed with cancer. And after nine years of great suffering, she passed away. But on her deathbed, she told her husband, Felix, Felix, that after she died, he would become a Catholic and eventually be ordained a priest. And he's an atheist. And he told her again that, you know, like always, he hated the church and this was never going to happen. As much as he loved her, the church was not on his plans. And she repeated her words. After she died, he started to read her diary, and he found a letter addressed to him. And in the letter, there was a part that read, Dear Felix, In 1904, I asked God to send me enough suffering to purchase your soul. By the time I die, the price will be paid. Greater love than this no woman has than she who lays down her life for her husband. And eventually, Felix did become Catholic, and he was ordained a priest. And so our families might not be perfect, but let's not imagine there's nothing we can do about it. 
Today, let us pray for all the members of our families, asking that this participation in the one bread of the Eucharist might help us to grow united to our biological families and to the ecclesiastical family of the Church.